Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, lace your shoes with country blues, ramble down that dusty old road. Don't be concerned if the song sounds familiar. We're making the same mistakes we swear we'd never make again. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. So, good evening, everybody. This is this is Vinyl Tap. Um, as you can tell, uh, if you've listened previously, uh, I, Tony Slagle, am your host tonight. And an art. We're talk. We're revisiting some familiar ground for us. We're talking about an artist that we um, that we mentioned on our very first posted podcast way back in November of 2020, and that's Jerry Jeff Walker. We did a memorial podcast for him. He had he had died about a week or so before we recorded that. Um, and tonight we are talking about his. Um, I believe it's his third album on MC- MCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth album on MCA actually, uh, riding high. And, and this, uh, my friends is a JM pick. And as always, I'm joined by our host, Doug Cooper. Camp Walker time again. <laughs> Pretty good. That's, that's what I should have done for the intro. That would have been perfect. And, uh, and of course our very, very humble producer, Jonathan JM Rowe. Good evening, tapsters. And we are once again remote because of the Omicron uh, variant. Uh, it seems to be waning. I was looking at the numbers today, hoping I could maybe in the next week or so slide back into the vinegaroon. I miss it. I miss the atmosphere. Yep. <laughs> if not the company. Um, so uh, anyway, as I mentioned, this is a uh, this is a JM pick. You um, and as I mentioned, we had we've touched on Jerry Jeff before, and we're we're um, we gave a pretty good account of some of the history, musical and otherwise, concerning the Gypsy, uh, Gypsy Cowboy, Gypsy, Gypsy Song, song Man. Man. Gypsy uh, Song Man, yeah. Gypsy Song Man. Um, but there's always more to tell. And I know, JM, that you you mentioned, I believe, on that episode that this was your favorite Jerry Jeff album. It is. And it's so, one of my favorite albums to have ever come out of uh, the outlaw country movement. Well, so, uh, uh, that segues into my question that we always ask, JM. Why did you pick this album tonight? <laughs> uh, well, Tony, I'm glad you asked. I, um, you know, I've known about Jerry Jeff Walker for a, a very long time. I, I was introduced to him, as I mentioned in the 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 earlier podcast, that I was introduced to him by my father, just like like a lot of people were, um, and his song. Um, 
Mr. Bojangles, which has become a hit for a lot of other people, including uh, probably the definitive version was by the, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I knew a man, Bojangles, and he danced for you In worn-out shoes Silver hair and ragged shirt and baggy pants The old soft shoe but I just associate Jerry Jeff Walker with a lot of good times in my life. You know, when I think of him, <laughs> I mean, seriously, <laughs> when I, when I think of him, I think of dances, uh, on a, you know, a hot summer night, um, you know, smelling, uh, smelling cedar and, and strings of white lights up and, you know, some sort of outdoor dance hall or, or tennis courts or tennis courts. Yeah. Jam and I used to, uh, Two Dance step. to Jerry Jeff Walker on a tennis court in yep. Real County yep. at uh, the camp where we grew up. And yep. those were fine memories. Very fine memories. Um, so there, there's definitely some nostalgia that's associated with his music. But this album, I think, is perhaps um, his most heartfelt it's not all that distinguishable from some of his other albums, especially, you know, one of my other favorite albums of his and one of my other favorite albums from the outlaw country music um, genre is, uh, you know, his album Viva Trilingua. That's my favorite Jerry Jeff yeah. album. Yeah, it's a fine, fine album. And these could almost be probably most good. people's favorite, I think. Yeah. Well, it's his most well known album, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even though so. this album charted better than that one did. Really? I guess yeah. it was because of the other one that's charted better. Right, well, Viva yeah. Terlingua uh, didn't even uh, break into the country charts. This album did. Well, well we I are, think we are talking about an artist who did not sell a lot of records compared to. Many of a the lot others of those we've discussed. Yeah, yeah. We, well, so we've we've talked about Willie Nelson, we've talked about Waylon Jennings, and this is definitely a guy that's associated with the outlaw country music uh, genre. Well, well, he's similar, I guess you could say, similar to uh, Billy Joe Shaver and mm -hmm. um, Willis Allen Ramsey. Willis Allen Ramsey, in that you know those guys, um, while they didn't sell a whole lot, were immensely. Yeah, immensely important and influential to to that movement. And and yeah. honestly, I think it's I think you can honestly say the movement wouldn't exist without Jerry Jeff Walker. I think he gave it some momentum that probably it, it needed a push. And I think that he probably gave it that push. And I think that that's one of the things that this album does is did push it in a big direction because this was an album where Nashville started to take notice of Jerry Jeff. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes this album stand out a little bit is that the musicianship on it is just a notch above, I think, his other albums. Well, not, not, it, not saying that it's, it's the other albums were he, the, the musicianship was, was slack. I mean, but this is just, he's got some, some big names playing uh, on this. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's probably important to note that, um, this album was actually not recorded in Texas. It was not. It was recorded in Nashville. Right. And and there are some 
Nashville guys on it to to fill out his otherwise amazing <laughs> some, band, right? There's some big Nashville guys right. on the, on this album. You know, it, it's it's still a fun album, and it and it's and even though there are some Nashville, some big Nashville guys playing on it, and we'll get to the musicians on this album in a minute. Um, it still seems like just a fun, fun album. And one of the things, you know, there, there's things that we look for in in records. And one of the things that I look for is just when guys sound like they're having the time of their lives <laughs> making an album. And it, it sounds to me like they are having the time of their life when they're making this album. I um, It's funny. I, I'm, I'm going to mention a name I think both of you guys know, and I had forgotten about him, but I, I whenever we do these things, I always kind of want to see what else is out there. Other people talked about, it. I don't necessarily want to repeat what they're saying. And I came across an episode of the Jeff Ward show. Oh, really? <laughs> Jeff Ward has a podcast now since he's no longer on the radio here in Austin. He was a longtime afternoon guy on KLBJ AM yeah. forever. And anyway, uh, I listened to his pot, the podcast that he put out after Jerry Jeff died and uh, you're talking about having a good time. He's he he talked. He says, uh, you know, he's talking about how how much Austin has changed and why Jerry Jeff's death meant so much to people and why it hurt so bad. And he says, you know, anybody who grew up here in the 70s and the 80s um, remembers going to a Jerry Jeff show. And then he pauses. He goes, well, you might not remember the show, but you remember <laughs> being at the show because yeah. those things were. I I never saw him during that time period, but I know that that legendarily. Uh, oh god the, the I, liquor was flying and so was the dancing and the singing so well, i, I mentioned I, that i saw i saw him at the armadillo world headquarters like two weeks before they shut it down well and I, uh that I, I was one of the most uh bacchanalian i would i would say that the the health department could have closed that place down <laughs> 158 times for uh the the things that were going on there um well I, he was in he was in great form and it was a lot of fun yeah. you know doug regardless of what album we're talking about i think having you having actually seen jerry jeff at the uh, armadillo you could probably just mention that every episode and it'd be a <laughs> that's something i would just that was the first that would be the first thing i just would say to people when i met him well it's it, he set a mold that's been copied um you put out all these good songs and then you put out a uh a a tune that the frat boys like yeah and then your concerts are ruined for a period <laughs> of time because every time you play huge busloads of fraternity guys are there it happened to jerry jeff first and then it happened to robert Earl keen yeah, and then like Todd uh, the Schneider. last one I know of was Jack Ingram. Um, yeah. Well, and and Jerry Jeff really hated that. Yeah. <laughs> he started playing acoustic shows uh, so yeah. that those guys wouldn't show up. <laughs> yeah, and we and we've got a song tonight that's kind of the epitome of that. Um, well, he mentioned that. Yeah. Um, but just real quick, I, I, before we get into a little bit of the history, I just want to go back to something since we talked about the armadillo and something we talked about his influence. Eddie Eddie Wilson, who was ran it, right? Right. He's the owner of the armadillo. He the legend is, and I read this in Texas Monthly, so you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna necessarily doubt it, but the legend is he took a clean shaven Willie Nelson to see a Michael Martin Murphy Jerry Jeff double bill 
in front of a rowdy crowd at some UT students club called Mother Earth. And that's what convinced Willie that he wanted to. I mean, I'm sure Willie was already feeling that. But when he saw that and saw that what was going on, the legend is, you know, he's that's like, OK, this, this, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think you can I don't think you can underestimate uh, this guy's uh, importance to. Well, yeah. And, and he, 20th he century country of, music, you know, he came out of a folk background. He did into and, and kind of gradually. Uh, became country music, whereas Willie and Willie and Waylon uh, came out of full Nashville uh, orchestration and all of that, and they yeah. were they were rebelling against. I don't think Jerry Jeff could have made it in that world uh, because none of his songs were what that world wants, and his voice certainly wasn't. Well, and and uh, I think it also is. Uh, important to state that when he moved here like right before he moved here um was when i think 71 was when mr bojangles was a hit for the nitty-gritty right. i mean that went to number nine so yeah he, mo- he moves to austin and he's sitting on a pile of dough already you know um yeah and uh and for a lot of people especially with his proclivities i think you would uh, tend to maybe not be you know that concerned about what you want to do um, but yeah. that wasn't the case at all the guy obviously as you said jam the idea of of how much fun he was having the guy obviously loved what he was doing oh yeah um, and it shows when you listen to this stuff it shows when you saw him live Chris, i saw him live later but it still showed he absolutely loved what he's doing you watch those old videos of him on Austin city limits or something oh, else yeah and, and it's just, just yeah and then just when he would walk onto the this, even before I saw him at Green Hall at least twice, but every time he would just walk up and just take pictures with his fans and just he was just having the time of his life. And well, he was, he was evidently pretty crazy live, too. Uh, as oh, yeah. I read a story. I mean, there's plenty of stories, but Ray Wally Hubbard tells one about where he saw him one time and he's uh, comes out on stage and he's takes his hat off and flings it across the the, the crowd. And it, I mean, this is yeah. some little small bar and it lands on a statue in the corner, perfectly lands on that, you know, as a showman. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, Gary, Gary P. Nunn tells this great story about Jerry Jeff showing up one night and he's in a bathing suit and a vest and a cowboy hat. And, and, and Gary P. Nunn says, and maybe a banana, I mean, a bandana. And, uh, and so he's been drinking Brandy Alexander's all day long <laughs> The band finally gets him on stage and he can't remember any of the lyrics. And after about three songs, some girl in the crowd yells, get off the stage, you drunk son of a bitch. <laughs> and, and, and he essentially tells her to F off, says a whole slur of a bunch of stuff, and then falls drunkenly into the drum kit. And the band just gives up and walks off. Um, but Jerry, Jerry Jeff Walker ends up getting up and playing by himself until one o'clock in the morning to, to the crowd that was there. He just finally, you know, he figures out the band's not there. He just sits up and plays for the crowd. Um, he just needed a good fall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, and what, what Gary P. Nunn says is that there are tons of Jerry Jeff stories and every one of them is hilarious. <laughs> well, you know? um, I, I know how JM got to know about uh, Jerry Jeff. Um, I have a theory about how you learned about him, Tony. Well, I, I saw that he was called um, the Jimmy Buffett of Texas, and I thought that might be what made you <laughs> now, give him a try. I, 
I want to speak to that just momentarily. (laughs) Um, That is a lazy, lazy description of Jerry Jeff. I know they were buddies. I know, I know Jimmy Buffett and Jerry Jeff were buddies. Um, They wrote a song together. Yeah, what song is that? She's a railroad lady, just a little bit shady. Really? 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 Wow. They shared a producer. Well, um, I will I will take sangria wine any day of the week over Margaritaville. Any day of the week. Um, <laughs> that surprises me. Tell me I, I can't remember. I thought you were a fan. I'm sorry. I, I got that wrong. Are any of us a fan on this podcast? <laughs> I think we pretty much lump uh, him in with uh, with the Eagles and some and the doors yeah, and some other people we don't ever want to listen yeah. to. Um, I really do. I, I, it, it, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's because it hits too close to home. I don't know. I can see it. I can see people, but I do think it's a lazy description of the guy. I think he's, um, Buffett. Jimmy Buffett's a fantasy and Jerry Jeff Walker. There's nothing fantasy about any well, of the stuff that he's saying people. It's, it's like jokes. Um, right. the more sophisticated, the humor, the, the more enjoyable it is, except for people who don't understand the, the joke. <laughs> and I think uh, I think a lot of people listen to some of this stuff and they're they're kind of lazy about listening to it and they don't get what he's saying. It goes over yeah. their head. But with uh, Jimmy Buffett, there's nothing. No work's needed to figure out no. what he's talking it's about. It's Hill versus Benny Hill versus Monty Python. And if you were to if you were to compare the two in their you know kind of most self referential, so you got Margarita Bill, which is I think you know his most famous, obviously uh, Jimmy Buffett's most famous self referential song, and you get something like Getting By or even Pissing in the Wind from Tonight, and those songs are funny and clever. And uh, the humor, if there is humor in Margaritaville, is very lame. Um, There's just not the depth there. uh, Yeah. But, you know. um, Well, you you hear it one time and you go, oh, that's cute. But you're done. Um, Yeah. If you think uh, I blew out my flip flop, uh, (laughs) that's a good line, but it doesn't stay fresh. Yeah, it's not like... uh, um, what is it? Uh, Blowing in, on in, all my friends. Or in, in, in income tax is overdue, and I think she is too. She is I mean, too, that's yeah. clever as hell, man. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I don't. There's no, there's no comparison. It's laziness. Um, but thanks for bringing that up, Doug. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm never gonna let it go. Um, Just to watch that, that grimace on your face when I say the name. <laughs> oh, that's JM said something that. Uh, that's not very accurate about there's no fantasy. And, <laughs> I knew I was wondering a, when you were going to come to that, Doug. This, this is, of course, one of the most heartbreaking things uh, that ever happens to a Texas boy is when he finds out Jerry Jeff Walker is from New York. From New York. <laughs> upstate New York, not just New York, <laughs> but upstate New York. I think and, Ithaca, right? Or something like that. And, and that, that, that leads me to wh- why I think this album is it's in a sweet spot as Walker is converting from New York folk singer. He's getting Texified. Yeah. It really pops out on um, Viva Tolingua. 
And this is this may be the last album before he takes that a little further than he should have. I agree. And I agree. It, it eventually becomes a little bit of a caricature of itself uh, un- yeah. unintentionally. By the time we get to A Man Must Carry On, we've got Jerry Jeff going, never let a day go by. And no one that grew up in, the, in upstate New York talks that way. Oh, well, yeah. JM brought up something that's one of the most interesting parts of Jerry Jeff Walker, and that's uh, his band Circus Maximus. Which oh, is yeah. A psychedelic deal. But his, he sang fairly, I mean, it sounds like him singing. So it's really hard for a Jerry Jeff Walker fan to hear him <laughs> singing in a psychedelic oh. band. Yeah. All you need to do to me, like the simplest test to see where he was and where he where he ended up is listen to the two different versions of Little Bird, the one that he did when he was still a folky. And the picture of my face reflected on the pain. Now is it tears I see or is it rain? And the one that's on Viva Trilingua. Yeah. Picture of my face on the window pane. Is it tears I see or is it rain? The yeah. the, the the difference between those two is so uh they're both great versions, but the one on Viva Trilingua is just it's so uh, countrified oh yeah. but in, in a in an amazing way yeah um you know the other one's uh, almost like cat stevens yeah exactly exactly so well, you know the thing that was so painful about learning that is in my mind jerry jeff walker epitomized this thing that i still can't articulate but it involves um an attitude Mm-hmm. Um, take it as it comes sort of attitude. I'm going to enjoy myself. I am uh, not. It's, it, it reminds me so much of how Austin used to be when we didn't have billionaires and millionaires everywhere. Um, it's, hey, well, come on in. I, that line, come on, fall on by the house. I mean, that line just epitomizes. It's yeah. something about the hill country. It's something about taking drives real slowly. It just mm-hmm. epitomized uh, all of that. That was my favorite thing growing up. And uh, and into uh, it's a struggle when you find out that, I, that was personified by someone from New York. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to that in in a little different way that may, maybe this will help you understand, or maybe you'll just say shut up, Tony. But I, I moved to Austin in 1990. I grew up, I, I'm a Texan, I grew up in Fort Worth. I'm a first generation Texan. What the first time I ever came here to to, to Austin which was in 89, I knew I wanted to be here because it just felt like home. I know that sounds hokey or whatever, but there's just something about this place that I fell in love with. Now, I know a billion, bazillion other people have fallen <laughs> in love with it, but the difference between those bazillion other people and me, if I could just pat myself on the back, is I didn't move here to change it. I didn't move here and go, oh, you know what? This place is missing. It's missing a five guys. Let's bring a five guys in here. I loved what Austin <laughs> was. And I think Jerry Jeff felt the same way. He came down here and it felt home to him in a way that maybe that where he was didn't. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, 
And then um, at the end of his life, he was running to New Orleans or uh, Belize to get out of here. Well, yeah, but he died in Dripping Springs. Well, I mean, uh, that's uh, he. I don't think he ever completely abandoned it, but I feel the same way he does. I, I, I would love to go on a vacation to Austin, 1975. <laughs> well, that's yeah. what I'm saying when I was listening, when you're talking about being, I watched a, I watched a documentary. It's a pretty short, like maybe 40 minute documentary on YouTube about the closing of the armadillo. And just listening to these guys talk about how it started, how they didn't have any money, how people work there for just for the love of the place. And, uh, and there are still places like that you just got to look harder for them. Um, I mean, there are still some amazing there. I, I say this about Austin and I don't want to go down too much down this road, but it's hard not to talk and be as sentimental about Austin. when You're talking about Jerry Jeff, right? There's still more about this town. I love than I dislike. Um, and there are still moments when you're sitting someplace listening to music or doing something. And you think there's no, there's not another place on the planet like this at this moment where I'm, I'm, you know, where this is going on. And uh, and that still happens. And those and 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 maybe they're even more special because they're rarer than they used to be. Uh, well, I li- the other thing about Jerry Jeff that I, I want to contrast him with uh, Willie Nelson and Waylon again. Uh, Waylon is a Texan, and um, but but he's West Texas. And it's it's really different than what I'm talking about when I say a hill country guy. Yeah. And and yeah, um, Willie, I, I mean, he's synonymous with Austin now, but he still doesn't quite get that hill country thing that um, that I get from. from no, you're uh, right. You're right. Yeah, that's, you're a, right. that's a very valid point. There it's is a, very a valid point. Even though Waylon. <laughs> Waylon and, and Willie are or, big sky. He did uh, Texas, made it a gigantic hit. But the difference is, um, he had never been there when he sang that. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry, Jerry Jeff was already haunting the place with Hondo. Oh, yeah. yeah. He and Hondo were like best buds. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, one of the things I want to mention, uh, I already mentioned Michael Martin Murphy. I think it's worth mentioning him again because he was, for lack of a better term at the time, uh, Jerry Jeff's kind of biggest musical rival, albeit a friendly one. She ran calling wildfire. She ran calling wildfire. She ran calling. And that's where he got his band. Um, you know, uh, Murphy was when he came to Austin, he had already had some success writing songs for the monkeys and uh, the first edition. Mm-hmm. And he ends up hooking up with these group of guys that include Bob Livingston and Gary P. Nunn and Leonard Arnold. Uh, and they end up uh, uh, recording, you know, a minor classic is for his debut called Geronimo's Cadillac, which includes a song. On a bar Sliders wine. There's running. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot um, that was on there. Which uh which Jerry Jeff ends up recording on Viva Trilingua. When uh he ends up uh getting his um record deal on MCA, uh 
he uh, Jerry Jeff, he, he goes around looking for Michael Martin Murphy and Michael Martin Murphy and his band. Um, and they called themselves, um, if I remember the interchangeable band, because they used to just, just be people kind of in right. or whatever. They yeah. all they all lived in a motor court off of North, North Lamar. Uh, the whole band lived in an, in an old motor court. They rented the place, and uh, Jerry Jeff goes up there to um, to you know, I guess I don't know, rub it in or do something. I don't know. It's uh, you know, g- giving the guy the business about it, and um, and he ends up um, sticking around. And they all next thing you know, guitars get out, and they all start playing together, and they realize, hey, there's some chemistry here. So you know, these guys. Uh, it, I, from what I understand, there was always a bit of a, te- a bit of tension between from from I think Michael Martin Murphy's point of view and and Jerry Jerry Jeff because he was playing with his essentially what was Michael Martin Murphy's band at the time, right? Um, but uh, I, I just found that interesting that you know uh, that those two guys yeah. were so connected and so important. I mean, both of them were important. Like I mentioned, the thing about Eddie Wilson, he took Willie to see a double bill between the two of them. They were such an important part of that, what that sound was. And a lot of people who don't know Michael Martin Murphy, except for the song wildfire, don't quite understand where he came from either. Cause that song isn't exactly no. <laughs> representative of, <laughs> of what he was doing at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what's what the other interesting thing about the two of them was the way they, the way they dealt with each other in the studio. So uh, evidently Michael Mark Murphy knew exactly what he wanted. He'd tell these guys what to do. Like he's very controlling. And Jerry Jeff was just the opposite. He's like, I I trust these guys they are musicians. They're going to know when I play a sad song, what they need to do. They're going to know when I play a rocking song, what they need to do. And, uh, and again, just to uh, mention the ghost of Eddie Wilson, I think his quote about him was the best. He said, uh, what the deal was, was that Michael Martin Murphy needed to be more like Jerry Jeff and Jerry Jeff needed to be more like Michael Martin Murphy. That was the, that was the tension. there. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can, the, the thing that makes one of the things that makes Jerry Jeff's music so good is the looseness well and the lack of production and well, the thing does about not exist yeah. on uh yeah. there uh yeah. i guess when he's recording the first album jerry jeff walker it was at some old abandoned cleaners on sixth street um that, convert, <laughs> that had been converted into its into a studio and the band would show up each night around seven o'clock and jerry jeff would be standing in the doorway mixing a big tub of sangria <laughs> so that's where the looseness comes from <laughs> You know, what's interesting about that uh, rivalry is when I was a kid, uh, Michael uh, Murphy was Michael Murphy. Right. Yeah. There wasn't a Martin. And (laughs) one of the things I think that happened, I don't know if it's because of Jerry Jeff or just at the same time, but everyone had three names all of a sudden. Right. Right. Yeah. Willis (laughs) Allen Ramsey. And you have yeah, Ray Wiley uh, Hubbard. Well, yeah, well, Ray yeah. Wiley Hubbard was assigned his name during the recording of uh, <laughs> Viva Trilingua. Ray Ray Trilingua. Trilingua. Someone just <laughs> hollered out, hey, ladies and gentlemen, Ray Wiley Hubbard. <laughs> that wasn't his name, but it stuck. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But, uh, you know, something that's interesting about Michael Murphy, and I'm, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but he went to the same high school with B.W. Stevenson. Really? And maybe Ray Wiley Hubbard. Oh, they did in Dallas, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had read that all a couple of years apart from one another. So uh, just real quick, want to just touch on my favorite Jerry Jeff album, 
Fever Trilingua. I don't I don't want to rehash things we said before, but there are some pretty good stories that I that we didn't talk about the last time we talked about Jerry Jeff. Um one of them is about where up against the wall redneck mother came from. You guys know the story about that? I don't. I don't. So Ray Wiley Hubbard, uh, the band is at a they're in a bar someplace, some redneck bar as he calls it in Red River, New Mexico. And someone goes up to Ray Wally Hubbard and asks him how he can call himself an American with hair like that. And uh, and he's like, oh, great. You know, and they start getting getting in his grill or whatever. And he goes out and he sees a he sees a bumper sticker on a pickup that says America, love it or leave it. And he's like, oh, Lord. So later that night, the couple of guys are at the hotel and they're passing guitar around. And he just, Ray Wally Hubbard just starts singing. He was born in Oklahoma and he came up, came up with the chorus and they all laughed. And he said, that's it. Next thing he knows, Bob Livingston, who was the basis for, um, Gonzo we'll talk, band. Yeah. We'll talk about them in a minute. He's the basis for the Gonzo band calls him up from, from calls him from Lukenbach and says, Jerry Jeff wants to cut that song. And right. Well, I was like, well, there's only one problem. I only have one verse. <laughs> uh, it was just a joke so he ends up according to him he ends up making up the rest of the song on the phone and it's up this mother. Up, mother so well. He's drinking in it's, uh is London Homesick Blues, which is a Gary P. Nunn song. Um, that song was actually played twice the night they recorded it because the first time they did it was the first time they'd ever done that song <laughs> in front of an audience. You couldn't hear Gary P. Nunn singing the verses. Um, but according to Jerry Jeff, when the chorus got there, things started snowballing. Everyone started just going crazy. Everyone went nuts. But afterwards, the guys who were recording it came running in and they said, hey, we weren't ready for that. You got to do it again. That's why... It starts off with him saying, I got to put myself back in that place. I want to go home with the armadillo. Good country music from Amarillo and Abilene. The friendliest people and the prettiest women you ever see. Because he's like... Uh, what do I got to do? And he's trying to get himself <laughs> mentally prepared. So he just said that into the mic and it's part, it's now part of, <laughs> part musical, of, the, part of le, the legend. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he's I always interpreted as he had to put himself back in London when he was homesick. Yeah. And yeah. he says, he's just describing what's going on. He was over there staying with somebody and he was sleeping on the floor and the guy wouldn't turn the heater on. He's like, <laughs> someone please turn the heat. He's just writing down what he's thinking about. Anyway, that album was essentially a game changer. We've talked about it, um, yeah, somewhat. Um, and uh, I mean, it just sort of changed it's, the landscape. It's a landmark. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a landmark in uh, the outlaw country mo- movement. And and as tough as that was to follow, he had to follow it. So the next up is Walker's Collectibles, and that's got what um, it's got six songs that he wrote out of the ten. Yeah. Jerry Jeff wrote. It's, it's I think yeah. it's. It may be the most songs he's ever put on an album that were his. Of his, yeah. It's uh, in my, my in my opinion, um, it's it's kind of like going back more towards the uh, the folk thing, and uh, I think there's a New Orleans element in all of his music, and on collectibles, mm-hmm. there's I think it's it's more pronounced. 
I I know his parents grew up listening to to jazz, and that influenced him. And I don't know what kind of da- jazz, but when you listen to his music and you got a you got all these instruments doing their own thing, it's a lot like mm-hmm. a Dixieland band where well, everybody is running in different directions, and somehow it all blends very nicely. Yeah, I you know I mentioned this um, I mentioned this on the last on the um, podcast when we were talking about Graham Parker, and I think the same thing could be said about these guys. These guys are able to play with a looseness and a sloppiness that mm-hmm. only comes from knowing what you're doing with your instrument. Yeah, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, which is jazz. That's what jazz is yeah. <laughs> breaking all the rules because you know them well enough to mm-hmm. know how you can get away with it. Yep. And then so, we got the Scamp Walker, where uh, he's, he's that's a nickname of his, and it describes something not perfectly finished or polished, which is precisely what makes these endearing. Ah, buckaroos, Scamp Walker time again. Yeah, I'm trying to slide. Now, on, on this album, they're more polished than many of the others. Are you talking about riding high? Yeah, or, riding high. Yeah. But they're not too much. Um, I don't. I don't feel like they. I don't think they get. Uh, no, they never too, get too uh, thick of a coat of varnish on them at all. Yeah, they never get too busy, and they yeah they and they really even though there's some arrangements on it that you really don't find on any other Jerry Jeff albums. They're. Um, the, the the producer kind of reined them in, and then there's some Nashville session players on this that really kind of I guess keep them reined in a little bit more. But like I said, it it, it doesn't like and like Doug was saying it. There is still a looseness from you can even hear that from on the opening uh, the opening track. So um, jam that's a that's another good segue if you will <laughs> since uh, we're we're button up against riding high the album we're talking about tonight do you uh, do you mind giving a little brief uh, description of these guys playing on this album and and maybe even if you want to veer into the producer a bit sure um, so the the heart of the band is the Los Gonzos and the Los Gonzos. Um, we're just a phenomenal backing band. Um, probably the most well-known of them is Gary P. Nunn, who did write London Homesick Blues. He, uh, even though if you go see him live nowadays, he's playing guitar, but he was the keyboardist for the Los Gonzos. Another guy by the name of Bob Livingston, he's the bass player. He played with Jerry Jeff almost from the beginning and uh, ultimately till I think, I till the very end. He, he was kind of his his right hand man. Yep. Um, and I saw he actually had his own kind of gig going for, for a while. Um, he kind of went into kind of a hippie area, but, uh, if you ever look up videos of Bob Levingston, they're, 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 they're worth checking out. He was a really tall guy and, uh, but he was a multi-instrumentalist. He wasn't just a bass player. Um, then you have a guy by the name of John Iman. I M O N. He was the guitar player. Um, and, uh, he played with him. He, he kind of got switched out eventually later. And another guy by the name of, uh, Kelly Dunn, he was the organ player, sometimes played, um, keyboards or, or electric piano, but he was mainly their organ player. So when you look at the liner notes for this, Jerry 
uh, Jerry Jeff Walker said he wanted to bring the Gonzos in with some uh, guys from Nashville. So the guys from Nashville that he brought in were actually a guy from, uh, I believe he was from Temple, Texas, Johnny Gimbel. Ah. Fiddle and mandolin. Chances are if you own a Willie Nelson album or if you own a Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys album after uh, the 60s, Johnny Gimbel's the fiddle player. And yeah, Johnny uh, Gimbel was fantastic. Oh, God. He was unbelievable. I, I, he's one of those guys when I saw him play, he was just, even in his dotage, I mean, he was still just amazing by Willie Nelson. It's also an unbelievably humble and cool nice humble, guy humble nice guy yeah yeah i mean i had the pleasure of actually talking to him one time it was an honor really? of my life and yeah this wow. unbelievably cool guy then another guy we've mentioned before kenny buttry is the drummer on this album and he has played with just about everybody that made a country album in the 70s uh he's played with linda ronstadt he's played with uh, I mean, he he was kind of a mainstay for a little while in that uh, Laurel Canyon sound, but uh, he eventually moved to Nashville and just played on just about everything. And as we mentioned, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, which brings us to the next person <laughs> on this, uh, Norbert Putnam. Uh, he's a started off as a session bass player. Uh, but he eventually became known as a, a producer and he's produced a lot of people, Jimmy Buffett, including Margaritaville phases and or uh, changes in latitude. I think is that album. Um, we didn't need to know that jam. We did, I know, but yeah, he's worked with, if you like Dan Fogelberg, he's responsible for a lot of the schlock that came out of that. Um, but he's also, you know, he's, he's got some, some street cred. He played with, Elvis and he he played with the monkeys. So he's got he was kind of a sought after uh, session bass player for a while before he went soft. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another guy who's actually played with Elvis and uh the monkeys, the keyboardist David Briggs. Um, and he has even played with Al Green. So that wow. gives him a little bit more. Um, I don't know what I'm most more impressed by the monkeys are out green. <laughs> yeah. There's some money thrown behind this. This was an MCA album and they were kind of hoping that this was going to be a, uh, a, a pretty big hit for, for Jerry Jeff. Well, and it, and like I said, it, uh, at the, at this point, I think it charted better than any album he had on MCA prior yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and MCA did this, did the thing that, same thing that happened to, with Willie is that when they signed, when they signed Jerry Jeff, they gave him some money and said, We're, "You do what you want to, hands yeah. off." And I, I'm yeah. assuming that comes, unlike Willie, I'm assuming that comes behind having a monster hit that somebody, a song that you wrote that somebody recorded that was yeah. a monster hit, and that everybody and their brother was trying to record at the same time. And I think MCA is like, yeah. "Yeah, it's worth putting our money behind this guy." I don't think they yeah. thought that he was going to move to Austin and. <laughs> and do what he did but that's okay we're better off for it right well then they, they yeah they gave uh the producer was this guy named uh michael brofsky and he's known for his arrangements it wasn't yeah. he jerry jeff's manager too i don't know was he i think he was i think that's right really yeah really yeah wow. i think it was his manager and his producer so. well are you guys ready to dive into the album i think so 
I think All so. Right. So uh, we're going to take a deep dive into Riding High. First song, first side, public domain. Don't be concerned if the song sounds familiar. Don't be concerned if it all seems the same. Just be concerned that your policies will give you. Right out of the shoot, we got a winner. <laughs> I mean, so such I, a good song. Here's a question. Um, it's it's uh, credited to Bob Livingston and Gary P. Nunn. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think Bob Livingston wrote most of it, but I don't know that for a fact. Um, I don't know if one of you guys knew more about that than I do. I think well, the, I, you I, know this album I'm looking at right here, and, and this is the old one with the fold out. It's only credited to Livingston. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gary my whole P- life, I thought Gary P. Nunn wrote it. So well, he co- he did do a version of it. So maybe somewhere along the line that got mixed up. I don't know, but um, yeah. I always I always thought it was a, the same thing with you. I thought it was a Bob Livingston song until I started doing research for this and saw Gary P. Nunn's name on it, and I couldn't figure out where how that happened or what happened um, to do. I that. don't know but, how, but the the way it start it starts off with that upright bass coming in at the wrong time. I mean, I love the way it starts. Well, off. we it's a it's the same same thing you and I say about a lot of albums, Jam, which yeah. is this is what a way to start it off, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it um, starts off like they they there's a false count in, and they start playing, and then nope, they keep counting, and then um, when they finally do come in, it's uh, the piano. Who's and, playing that? Who's playing the piano on this song? That's I don't know. I'm guessing that's Briggs. I mean I that it's think... that kind of ragtimey. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it matches the horns perfectly because those yeah. horns, the horns in this song are also that. I mean, it, you know, Doug was talking yeah. about the 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 New Orleans sort of influence on stuff. That's yeah. obvious on this song. Yeah, and it's got that uh, the mandolin comes in right there. It's 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 that tenor. It almost sounds like one of those uh, tenor banjos that come in from that they used in Dixieland tenor banjos and mandolins are tuned the same way. So what is the solo? <laughs> what instrument is the solo? I'm thinking that's a, a just an acoustic guitar, but, I, but I, it, it's got a weird twang to it. I don't, I mean, I could, I don't, I couldn't find the liner notes anywhere. I was trying to see if a Dobro was on this album or what, cause it reminded me. Well, of there it, is a Dobro. Yeah, there is a Dobro. Okay. I don't know if that's it or not, but it's a, it's yeah. fantastic, whatever it is, but I could not figure for the life. Yeah, but of you got to really listen to, to try to hear it. Yeah. So, um, Doug. Yes, sir. What's this song about? I don't think you can put too fine a point on it. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like the struggles of someone trying to get some music published or get a contract. Um, got my fire, got my irons in the fire down in Texas. Means he got a little something going down there. I've got my toehold in Tennessee. I got my yeah. foot in the door of that California store. Uh, but he he's not getting anything else. Um, it, and then, it. of course, we got the uh, Sub Queens in uh, uh, Dallas. Dallas. Uh, do you know who yeah. else used to talk about Snuff Queens all the time, Tony? No, who's that? Jimmy Reed. Buffett. Uh, I, so I, I kind of had a different take on that and maybe it's because of the last line of the stanza you read where he says, I got, I've got, now I'm up in my ears or I'm up to my ears in me. 
I assumed when you're talking about public domain, this idea that you're not making anything really new. So I'm, I you could be right. In fact, now that I you're think saying, I think you probably I, are. That's part of but it I was, too. I was thinking that got my iron, you know, fires, uh, irons and fire down in Texas, uh, hmm. uh, hold Tennessee, California. I thought that was like, these are all these influences on him. And his biggest one is he's up to his ears and me, you know, it's like, I can't shake all of these different influences, you know? Um, but yeah. I don't know. But it's, I, I, I'm talking about the second paragraph. It's led me to that conclusion. Like, uh, it promised me points yet to see me any loot from the man in a high heeled Gucci. Yeah, shoes. There's that. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, regardless of what it's about, it's, it's, uh, if this, this band is having so much fun mm-hmm. on this song, it's hard not, it's hard not to just, I mean, this song is just so fun. If you don't, fine, fine, if fine. you don't tap both of your feet, want to get up and move around <laughs> the house, I, you might as well call the corner. Because you're yeah. no longer among the living if this song doesn't get you up and moving. And it's even got a key Don't it make you want to dance, Tony? <laughs> it does. It does. All right. So moving on to song number two on side one, Pick Up the Tempo. This is a Willie Nelson track. It's off a fantastic album of Willie's called Phases and Stages. It's it's also on this time, which is uh, Waylon's album following Honky Tonk Heroes that Willie produced, of all people. Really? And they also, the two of them recorded it as a duo on Waylon and Will on the Waylon and Willie LP. That's um, where I that's where I, I first heard uh, I, someone besides Jerry Jeff do it. I want to say something about all three of those versions. While they're all good in their own right especially the solo Willie version, which I agree with you, JM, is great. None of them does what this song does, which is to actually pick up the tempo. I agree with you. It's it's a, weird. This is the best version of it. By far. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the version that it's noticeably restrained on phases and stages, and that, that kind of fits the mood of that album. No, I agree, but it's it's weird yeah. that you're going to be talking about a song about picking up the tempo and the drummer dragon and all this other stuff, and you don't actually. I mean, I'm sure Jerry Jeff was like, "We we got to fix this problem," because um, this band rocks uh, with yeah, this song. They do a great version. Yeah, they, they turn it they turn it into a kind of a sloppy drunken sing along, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Well, and- well, it doesn't sound like someone's orchestrating this very tightly. Mm-mm. No, it sounds like. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, everybody knows what they want to do. All right, let's go. <laughs> doopa doopa doopa. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's great. Um, but I, I'm glad you agree with me, Jam. That this song, this version of it, is like the definitive one. So moving on to song number three, "Like a Coat from the Cold." But Walk through life with me like a cold from the cold. This is a Guy Clark song who we've talked about 
at least in the Towns Van Zant episode, if not a couple of other ones. This is JM's favorite song on the album, and it's really sweet, and it makes him want to boohoo. That is true. Oh, I was uh, I was going to say this is the one song that sounds orchestrated to me. I do not like the instrumentation on this song at all. I think it pulls away. For, if this was if this song was like the one after it, where it was just the acoustic guitar and a steel, um, I just uh, the dr- dramatic drum and cymbal crashes on it just kind of pull me out of the song every time I hear it. It's a great song. Don't get me wrong. And I love Jerry's voice on it. Jerry Jeff's voice is incredible on this song. It's perfect for this song. I just don't get the whole kind of crashing cymbals thing going on. It just seems so out of place to me. Well, and it's got that horn arrangement in it. That that that. I mean, it it is not a typical Jerry Jeff arrangement. And but anybody a, doesn't know uh, Guy Clark. Yeah, uh, he's a fantastic songwriter, and this is a great example. I have flown like a bird from every cage that confines me. I've broken yeah. every one of those ties that binds me. I've danced me around all those sad old situations. I've taken my share of those sweet invitations. Uh, that's just uh, no. Yeah, he's an amazing. Writing. It's a great song. I just like I said, if I have one. One nitpick about it is just that I I don't know just and I, and I don't I don't, I, I, I don't I notice almost, it when I, I don't notice it when I'm not listening to headphones. I just love the way that that those that French horn comes in and and does that, um, and I just love that sentiment of a woman's love just kind of oh, sheltering you from the onslaught of life and and you know you can you despair if you don't have love you know you can't knock how great the lyrics are on this song. Uh-huh. You can't knock how great Jerry just uh, delivery of the lyrics oh, are yeah. on the song. Yeah. I mean, just the first line when, you know, like Found I said, comfort it's, and courage. it's yeah. so, he's so sounds so weary, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's all of that's great. I'm not knocking any of that. I just think that I wish it was more like the song instrumentally, like the song that follows it, which mm. is more, I think fits, it would fit it better if it was just a little bit more sparse sounding. Yeah, but I, I get it. Is, I mean, I get yeah. it. It's hard. It's hard not to love, love the song when you've got lyrics like that. And, and and you listen to his voice. It's quite obvious why he wasn't in Nashville. Yeah. I mean, this this voice is too. It's it's so. Expensive. Oh, they would have. I don't this know why anybody up. wouldn't love it, but it's it's not. There's nobody that was in Nashville that uh, Billy Cheryl like or somebody like that getting hold of this. This would have. Oh, would have. Yeah, would have destroyed it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think moving on to the next song, I Love You, which is penned by Jerry Jeff. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. Someday we'll travel far away. We'll roll all the way to La Louisiana. Maybe we'll just roll. I think it's it's very telling that he needed like a Guy Clark song to be as sentimental as he did because his version <laughs> of sentiment is his tongue firmly planted in cheek. <laughs> if you're ever drunk and want to sing a song to your lady, this is the song <laughs> for you. I mean, it is so so good, um, and it was written for his new wife, so she must have had a sense of humor. She had to listening it. to it, yeah. 
I mean, it's got the line diamond rings yeah. for every toe, dangling earrings for your fingers. Yeah. Big sparkling <laughs> rocks for your nose. For your nose. Yeah. Um, I, I'm assuming and for I the would... young people out there, uh, this was before that was uh, something that people did. Right. This is not, <laughs> he's not talking about outside of India. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I'm surprised, Jam, you didn't talk about how upfront the bass is on the song. I mean, it is right up front in the mix. Yeah, it's pretty very up. Yeah, the, I think but it's good. It works. Oh yeah, it works very well. And I think that's um, actually um, it's it's not Norbert Putnam. I think that's Bob Levingston playing. Well, it's really it's really great. And I love uh, you know you talk about that one line about the the, the rings for every toe. This is the way the song ends. Is great yeah. too. He's talking about he wants to, to you know, getting out of bed is it ruins, ruins his day. my whole day. I've and then the last, and then the made. last line, I hear that's how babies are made. Then they've never seen the northern lights. They've never seen a hawk on the wing. They've never seen the spring at the great song is night riders lament which was uh written by michael burton and from alaska right this is a uh, as far as i can tell maybe his only song <laughs> yeah i don't can't know find anything, anything else about, this, about guy. this guy yeah yeah my now, god what a great freaking song oh my god it, it is y'all know that alaska is actually some people think alaska is actually bigger than texas well some people <laughs> think it's part of the u.s <laughs> I thought we bought it. Well, we yeah. did, but that doesn't mean anyway. For a buck um, 80. So this song's been covered by a lot of people, um, yep. including Nancy Griffith and Garth Brooks. Um, but uh, yeah, you can do a Google search. I spent, I don't know, I've probably spent an hour and a half trying to find out information about who Michael Burton was, and you can't find it anywhere. Well, he's up there in Alaska, staring at the uh, um, Northern Lights. Right. The only thing I, only thing I found out was he was evidently good friends with Jerry Jeff Walker and Guy Clark and all those guys. But other than that, I don't know. But if you're going to write one song, this is a jeez, it's a pretty Man. good one. It's one of my, it's probably oh. my second favorite song on the album. It, it, um, it, I know people like this that have not seen, you know, hawks or tumbleweeds. Have not seen snow-capped mountains in the summer you know they, like there are people that i have driven up from you know like east texas or tennessee when i lived up there and then taking them to to colorado and just just they'd never seen west texas before and you, well, you just forget that and of course i'm yeah from san angelo but um, well and, and and this is one of those songs that has that little twist in it that I never you never get tired of. You know, the whole time the guy's reading a letter about his friend telling him about everything he's missing. You're ru- you're wasting your life out there as a cowboy doing whatever you're doing. It's pointless. You don't you don't have what right. I have. And then right. and then he flips it and says, you know what? You don't have what I have, which is exactly what you had said. You've never seen the Northern Lights. You've never seen the hawk on the wing. On You've never wing. seen the Great Divide or even the cook singing, the camp cook singing. And, yeah. and, and I, and I love that, that, that part at the end where the guy comes up to relieve him, sees him with the letter in his hand and, and just igno- acknowledges that this, that he's getting another earful from this guy who has no idea what they're doing. It's yeah. great. And the, the guy writing the letters gets to, re- gets to tell him, uh, 
that uh, Jenny's married and has a good life. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the uh, yodeling at the end of it, which and, is not actually yodeling. He just pretends like he's yodeling. Eh, it's close enough for Jerry Jeff. And well, you can't, you can't, we can't not talk about the fiddle solo in the song either, which is remarkable. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great song. I wish this guy had written more, more music. It's a shame that he yeah, didn't. Yeah, it's a shame. Well, he, he got eaten yeah. by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> or a moose. Now we flip over the album. We get to side two. Goodbye, Easy Street. It's written by John John Inman, who was a guitarist for a the guitar player. Yeah, um, and and something I guess we didn't talk about is how generous Jerry Jeff is with the people in his band. Oh he yeah, records their songs. He gives them. He gives them, and I'm and they're all they're giving fan- him fantastic songs. Well, they are. That's what I was yeah. just going to say. They're giving him fantastic songs, so it's a two way street. But um, I think this song, this song to me, sounds like. Uh, John Inman was listening to a little too much of the Beatles and ELO at the time he wrote it. <laughs> I would, I'd give you the Beatles. I don't know about ELO, but yeah, I, it, I, I can see that a little bit. And it's got the backing tracks, got those ahs and the backing yeah. vocals. And even the steel sounds poppy to me. This sounds like a pop song. Well, um, I think it, it, this is the production that makes it sound like a, I do too. The, I think the Beatles like rather than the song itself. Well, I just yeah. think that that piano sounds sort of, uh, I don't know, hello, goodbye a little bit. You know, yeah. there's something yeah. going on there. I think that um, may be why I like it. Well, I, it's uh, a great song. It's just funny. I was. Uh, it just struck me. You know, again, we listen to these songs with a different ear when we're doing this stuff. And I was like, holy yeah. cow, this sounds yeah. like this reminds me of. <laughs> anyway. Yep. And that, that's a this is a good opportunity to say that the liner notes, uh, especially I've got the CD. I don't have the the uh the vinyl but he talks about everyone who wrote these songs and he, he every um he, he gives a little bit of a story behind every song and he always talks about who wrote it and john he when he heard john iman sing this immediately on, on the album it said it john wrote this down around the time the pumps were being closed on sundays and 55 yeah, it's pretty high. Uh, <laughs> when you <laughs> when you get strapped for things, your priorities. Yeah. So it's it's about losing. Uh, it's about uh, the wheel of fortune turning against you. Yeah, because this was yeah, during it's, the. It's uh, so funny because he's. It's this. It's it's perfect because he's talking about a bad thing and everybody's happy and singing together. Goodbye, Easy Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's very yeah. Jerry Jeff Walker attitude on that. It is. Yeah. It is. I remember going into a, a a five and dime in Mason, Texas, when we lived there, and the lights being out because of the energy crisis that was going on. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Well, that's, I think that you know that's we were going to run out of uh, oil. oil by something like eighty uh, nine, I think. Or yeah, that's what Jimmy Carter told us. Yep. Number seven, second song on side two, Pot Can't Call the Kettle Black. None of the girls are as pretty as Susan, but I like the sun that I see. Yeah, the 
Written by Billy Callery or Will Billy Callery or Billy C. <laughs> um, I have a really hard time differentiating this song between just my absolute fondest memories of dancing with uh, teenage girls when I was a teenager. I, I can't really talk on it on any sort of intellectual level. I think it's just a fantastic song. It's a classic. It, it's got a great chorus. It I'm hits all sure those. It hits all those Jerry Jeff notes. So it's got that slow burn. You know how he does that thing mm-hmm. in a song where he's got that slow burn in the beginning before it kicks into high gear. And then he's got the slow bird fade out as well. He does that yeah. more than he does that all the time. And it's just a signature thing that I love when he does it. Um, yeah. And then of course the lyrics are hilarious, which is, yeah. you know, all, you know, that's also a, a trademark. Um, Grandpa and had him a wandering eye. Must have gone down to me. None of the them are pretty as Susan. Susan, but I like some that I see. That's right. Oh, it's great. And then just that good time, bouncy, sloppy beat going on with it. And yeah. I don't know what's going on in the bridge, but whatever it is, it's magical with the guitar and the steel playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a really fantastic. Oh, it's just a fun, fun song. All right, moving on to the next song, Mississippi, You're On My Mind by Jesse Winchester. Oh, Mississippi, you're on my mind. Mississippi, you're on my mind. Oh, 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 Mississippi, you're on my mind. Um, Is there a better song about longing for a place? It it sounds like a spiritual and i don't know if it, it sounds really like a, I, does. I don't know if it sounds like as well i do know because i listened to the jesse winchester version it sounds like a spiritual because jerry jeff is making it sound like one. Oh my god it's it so reminds me of beautiful. georgia and not just because they're both about uh southern states but the the sentiment's the same this this song's just describing a whole bunch of very very simple things yeah uh, it's, mm-hmm. It does a great job of uh, describing things. He's describing sounds. And none of the things he's describing are the grand mountains or the right. stately but trees. But, yeah. but that's where the old John Deere. That's where the strength I, I, of the song comes in. It's all it's these exactly familiar right. things that makes yep. makes some place you miss. It makes you long for that place. It's not. Yeah, sure. You. It's you the might, simple things. It is absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. and he's up in Canada, probably. Yeah freezing to death uh, uh he had to leave the united states uh because he didn't want to go to uh vietnam so he's in canada and at this time nobody knew if those guys would ever be allowed back he's talking about how hot it is and i i can hear it i can yeah. hear the cicadas yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh he's talking about those grasshoppers whenever you see grasshoppers it's almost a, always 100 degrees yep and um and all he can think about is getting into that creek. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. you know, he, he's probably talking about a guy without air conditioning. <laughs> he just, yeah. that's the only chance he's got to cool off is to go down and get in that creek. And he's missing that from up in Canada where I'm guessing it's not that way. Right. Right. Not, not quite the same. Yeah. 
they even have grasshoppers in Canada? Um, I don't know, but as as y'all know, that our we have so many fans in Canada. I'm sure they can give us a grasshopper report. <laughs> Uh, just a, another kind of brief side note for uh, Winchester. When after he was pardoned, I think maybe a month after he came back to the states, he ends up appearing on the Midnight Special with Little Feet, Emmy Lou, and Bonnie Raitt. Wow! Yeah. Wow! I saw people. Uh, I saw cuts from that. People mm-hmm. loved this guy. I mean, his songs were being recorded by all. I mean, just you know, um, and 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 with lyrics like this, and the and the uh, a way he's able to conjure up that oh, sense of place just, uh, it makes sense you know he's a heck of a songwriter unbelievable song it it's definitely a, a highlight on this album. This, this is an album full of highlights it is it absolutely well, is but just picked yeah. his 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 uh adaptation is fantastic and his choices are fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. well speaking of that moving on to the next song jaded lover This this is my favorite song. No, this is, I was going to say this is probably my favorite song. It, it is almost a perfect song. I um, I can't tell all, you how many times I danced to this. I was going to say every time I hear it, I want to grab my wife and two step with her. You know, it's so it's just fantastic. But the thing is so great. We've all known people like this. I mean, I've known women like this, but I've known some guys <laughs> like a, this. But it's, it's just, another you know this person. It's yeah. another little twisty song, you know, where it's mm-hmm. uh, you, you you think the guy is going to be talking about being jaded, but in fact, it's her and she's just playing the part because she doesn't really yeah. care. She didn't give him. <laughs> she didn't give him. Yeah, that's right. And he's and he uh, knows it. He knows it. It is so so good. Um, well, he's breaking up with the girl, and he starts out. He's not. <laughs> he's not buying any of the drama. No, he no, starts no. out. It won't be but a week or two. Or you'll two. be out loving someone new. Yeah. But don't you know? I, I had a. I had a guy before. <laughs> I mean, but there was a guy that I knew that he got his girlfriend kicked him out of his house, out of their house, and he came and, and stayed with me for a few weeks and he was just lamenting i'll never find anybody as good as she is oh she's so she's so beautiful and then i mean literally two weeks later he was telling me he's in love with somebody else i mean it's just like he's a serial monogamist serial monogamist exactly yeah, yeah. which we find highly offensive here at this is vinyl tap what monogamy no serial monogamy <laughs> um <laughs> they uh i love I love the Think the last it, no. verse. It jumps up a key, and yeah. uh, he, what a joyous sight to see you in your sleep! Now I believe I'm leaving. I'm in too deep. <laughs> <laughs> that seems easy enough for a man to say. Yeah. It's uh yeah it's it's a great uh, breakup song, and uh, I can see you are an angel whose wings that just won't unfold. No, he's just—he's just—he's not playing the breakup drama at all, and he's just yeah. cracking one joke after another about how ungenuine this whole thing is. Yeah, like <laughs> like this is her first breakup. Yeah, one—I think it's the most country uh, music sounding song on the album too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got that uh, that as you mentioned, a perfect uh, 
two-step beat and it also has um a lot of steel guitar but it's got such a different it, it almost has like a ronnie specter type angle on it like you're not messing with me kind of mm-hmm. you, you don't get that in a lot of country songs especially from the male point of view yeah that's what makes it unique you know i mm-hmm. i think uh that's definitely what makes it unique um it's funny doug and i agree all right moving on to the final song on the album this is the the one we've all been waiting to talk about right doug number 10 pissing in the wind the frat boys go crazy for pissing in the wind betting on the losing friends Making the same mistakes we swear we'll never make again. Pissing in the wind, buzz blowing on all our friends. So it starts off with this uh, direct uh, spoken word parody of a Chris Christopherson song, the yeah. Pilgrim Chapter 33, yeah. and ends with a parody of a Bob Dylan song. <laughs> I think Jerry Jeff's mentioned in that pilgrim. You know that song? It's it's uh, uh Silver Tongue Devil. Oh, I'd like to dedicate this song to Funky oh. Johnny Fritz, Johnny Cash, and and I think Jerry Jeff Walker gets thrown into that. And uh, so, he, so yeah, he it's I guess he's he's just really poking and in a Christopherson could take himself a little too serious on some <laughs> of those things. Well, and. Uh, I think Jerry Jeff is just poking them with with that. It's so if you know both pieces of music, it'll crack you up when you and, hear Jerry Jeff. And again, yeah. it's that self-referential thing. I've I've this song to me is like a bookend to getting by. You know, it's like the opposite. It's well, like it other, is. It's the same, yeah. it's the same topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. and uh He's making, I don't, he's is, is making there a, a more, commentary on his business. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is just, there a more guy song in the world i I can't think it may be gringo honeymoon but i can't think of a song that it's just like it's you know that line it's blowing on all our friends and he he he, he mentions uh about the time i called this guy yeah guy clark obviously guy clark and then yeah gary nunn called me up yeah yeah and he mentions the gonzo uh uh, uh, boys want to get together yeah um it's it's a great song. It's about now the old gray cat. I think I think that's a guy Clark song, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's with something like that old gray cat comes. Well, it makes it hall. makes sense because that's in the same stanza he mentions yeah. about the guy this guy calling him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they we have to explain for the young people what it means when he says the only thing he wants to know is who the hell's paying for this call. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, back in the day. Yeah, back in back the day, in the day. People, called, uh, especially if it was inside the state, you could uh, spend twenty bucks in no time on a phone call. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's so much better. Calls. Well, this is a this is a great way to end the album. Again, as, as Doug mentioned, it it had a little bit of a sourness to it in the sense that it was co opted by a bunch of drunk frat boys um, to the yeah. point where Jerry Jeff just got sick of playing it because of that. And yeah, even the the little whistle at the end of it is a nice. Nice send off. I, I like the observation with how well this goes with uh, the, the other one about the business of uh, getting by. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's it's, it's, it's a, really saying you know 
I would sum it up saying, guys, we just can't take this stuff all that seriously. Um, Well, and and I (laughs) now I I think I think even deeper than that is that I I think it's impossible for him to take it seriously. I think that's kind of the point of both of those songs. You know, it's like quit being who he is. If if, I mean, think about if he took up a cause and started leading political. A protest and stuff. It, it, I mean, it was well, so far outside his personality. It is. That being said, he was an unabashed lefty. You look you know? at the kind of way he was living. It's it's uh, it's amazing. But um, he did absolutely, <laughs> absolutely clean up. And yeah. He. Yeah, you know, it sounds like. I mean, uh, yeah, the last time I saw him, he looked like he'd been lifting weights, and well, he was, yeah, he was, <laughs> I never realized he was as tall as he was. He's a big guy. Yeah, yeah, I saw a picture of him getting arrested. He's just a little bit over six feet. All right, guys, we ready to go on to the uh, ranking of the album? Yes, sir. I believe so. All right. Well, as always, we have two. Uh, we do two scores. Um, one is the our score of whether we would listen to it again, uh, regardless of any sort of critical feelings we have toward it. And the other one is uh, whether or not, if we wouldn't listen to it again, doesn't matter because we're going to give it a score based on its musical merit. So I'm going to go to Doug first, since uh, this is a jam pick. Doug. All right. So this is, this is a little bit like uh, Stevie Ray was for me. Uh, uh, too close to really be object- objective about it. But as a cold-hearted critic, I believe I'd give this a four or five. And personally, I think I would I would ding it two points uh, for a couple of things. But that that gives me a, a four or eight personally. And to, to ask whether or not I'll listen to it again is <laughs> is, is a joke. Of course, I, I will listen to it for the rest of my life. All right. Uh, I guess that moves on to me. Um, I, I'm going to make this easy and just do four or five for both. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, it's hard for me when I want to hear Jerry Jeff, I almost automatically go to Viber Trilingual because of my attachment to it and my memories of listening to it. Uh, but this is such a great album and it's so close to the feel of that album that obviously I've listened to it and I will continue to listen to it. And, uh, outside of, uh, you know, outside of, um, the instrumentation on like a coat from the cold, there's not anything really to knock on this album. Um, it's, uh, it, it's perfect in a lot of ways, but, uh, I don't know. It, I still, you know, if I'm going to hold Beaver Trilingual up as the high water mark, which maybe isn't fair to this album, I can't quite give it a five. So I'm going to say four or five for both. Okay. Jam. What say you? Okay. I am going to agree with Doug. I think this is a four or five as a critic. Um, I'm not really sure why I would knock it as a critic. Um, just I, there may be some immediacy of this album that's just not really apparent. I, I, you might have to sit with it a couple of times to appreciate it. I'm also going to agree with Doug. I'm going to give it a four or eight as, as to uh, my heartfelt rating. I absolutely adore this album. It is one of my favorite albums ever made. Um, you know, I, I put it up there with Redheaded Stranger and Honky Tonk Heroes as the albums 
the country albums I listen to the most. And I would probably give this the nod over both of those because I just think this album is so good. And they're there. I put this on whenever I'm about to go out West, if I'm about to go on a hunting trip or if I'm about to go on a camp out or something like this, this album always is on my, uh, on my playlist. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, not very difficult to say that Jerry Jeff has written some of the best driving albums really ever, so, ever, yeah. ever recorded. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, they're just, you put them on, roll the windows down, turn them up and yeah. Just look at the big sky in front of you. And then it's just a, uh, yeah. Well, and, there, and, and again, there's just something, uh, and you know, as we talked briefly about the, the frat guys for pissing the wind, there's just something that encourages you to sing along and yeah. sing along with a, a you know unabandoned or abandoned joy um when you're singing yeah. with him so yeah. well there's one thing about singing along with Jerry Jeff uh that I I don't know if this is true for other people but I can sing along with him because he has a lower voice ah buckaroo and and, it, yeah. you, and you can also have a lazy voice and you can sing along with him and he's not going to go into some high. He he does yeah. above my range. No, so it's right. not, yeah. It's it's fun yeah. to sing with them because you can. Well, and I and I have tormented my kids with the uh, with getting by singing along with that in the car, and especially <laughs> the part where it's like a living it day day. Yeah, that you might know? be because I'm I'm a firm baritone. That <laughs> yeah. might be one of the reasons why I like picking up along. the pieces wherever they fall. I mean, that's just I yeah. just drive them crazy with that. But it's I mean, you can't help but sing along with it. It's so well, much fun. It's impossible. It's it's really impossible. He's a he left behind a tremendous legacy and. Yeah. One of the most important parts of his legacy is he was able to get us to finally publish a a, a podcast, podcast. <laughs> because true. it was timely and we couldn't we couldn't play around anymore. We had to get it out because one of our favorites had just died. If you'd like to listen to how much we've gotten better, or if you think <laughs> we're bad now, you should go yeah, back should to go that back first and listen podcast. to that first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. For those of you who dislike what we do immensely, you, you have Jerry Jeff to blame. <laughs> uh, for those and of they you probably like quit what, listening by now. <laughs> for those of you who like what we do and you have Jerry Jeff to blame. So Tony. Yeah. Doug. We've talked about an album that came out a long, long time ago. Could, could you tell us, uh, if there's anything new for the kids out there. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I feel a little bad that I haven't recommended one of this guy's albums previously. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, an album by a band called the ice cold singles. Um, actually, I guess technically the name of the band is Ramblin' Dino and the ice cold singles. Uh, Dino is Dean Schlebowski, who is the lone American in the Waco brothers. He's the guitarist and co-writer of, or writer of half the songs, sings half the songs. Um, and, uh, and, uh, they, you know, spend a lot of time or have spent a lot of time in Austin during South by Southwest and other things. He actually lived here for a while and ended up hooking up with, um, a band called the meat purveyors who, if you guys know the meat purveyors, they were, a, oh yeah, 
Yeah. They were a local Americana kind of alt country band. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty uh, fantastic guitarist by the name of Bill Anderson, who I think is in the Austin Music Hall of Fame, even. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, they broke up and he decided that he wanted to do a project with them. And they started recording stuff as Dino and the Pervs, spelled P U R V S. That ended up morphing into this band, which was the Ice Cold Singles, which is not all of the Meat Purveyors, but a good chunk of them. Uh, Joe Walston, who is actually Dean's wife as well, uh, sings uh, backup and sings lead on some of the songs on this album. Uh, Bill Anderson's on it as well. Um, Pete Stiles, who is the mandolin player for the Meat Purveyors, is on this album. Uh, Tamina Garamy, who is a fiddle player, who I've known had the pleasure of meeting and have known for a while. She's uh, been very kind to my older daughter, who's also a fiddle player. Anyway, uh, the name of this album, like I said, is ice cold singles. And it is, um, it, it just came to my mind because it has kind of the same sort of sloppy abandon, uh, uh, that, that Jerry Jeff has, um, in a good way. Uh, these guys come at country from a little bit more of a punk kind of sensibility. So the music's a little rougher, and a little louder than what Jerry Jeff would do, but it still has that same feel to it. Um, Dino's got a bunch of a bunch of stuff uh, that you can go to his band Bandcamp page and get, um, but this is one of the few things that's still available on vinyl. The funny thing about it, I'm assuming, is a play on the name of the title, Ice Cold Singles. It's recorded in 45 RPM, so when I bought it and put it on the first time, it sounded very strange to me. <laughs> I realized that it was it was supposed to be played at 45, and then it sounded great. Um, I'd say uh, it, the whole thing is really worth listening to, but some standouts are Stuck in the Mud, a song called Dead Wrong, which is just really, really great. State Line Bar is also good. Um, uh, you know, this guy, is, uh, this guy saved my bacon during the pandemic because he did a morning show every day except for Saturdays um, where he would, every morning at 8, he would get up and play three songs. And then on Sundays he would do a brunch. And when I wasn't able to see live music, this guy made, I mean, he made me happy because I could tune in any day of the week and see him. Um, so that was really great. So I owe a lot to him in terms of keeping me sane during the pandemic, but also he's writes great music. So I highly recommend this, um, go to his Bandcamp page. Um, there'll be a link to it on the website, check out anything, get this if you can. There's, I think maybe one other thing that's also available on vinyl, but the rest of it you can get digitally. It's all good stuff. So yeah, yep. check it out. All right. Well, thank you there, Tony. That's it for our look at Jerry Jeff Walker's outstanding album, Riding High from 1975. Let us know what you think of this album on our website, tappingvinyl.com. And as a reminder, you'll find all sorts of good stuff up there related to past episodes and uh, current episodes. You can also reach us via Twitter at Tapping Vinyl and be sure and visit our Facebook group page. Next week, we'll be looking at an album by the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, her album, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Doug Cooper, our co-host, 
Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And reminder, don't be calling the kettle black. Kiss me once again.